Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hey, what's going on, automotive world? Welcome to another episode of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping, and today on the show, I've got a guest joining me, Dan Quincy. Uh, Dan's from up north a little ways in Canada. Uh, He is currently working on some fleet services. He's done some mobile work in the past, and he's working towards being an automotive instructor. And that's actually one of the things that we're going to discuss today is the process of getting hired, the interview process, and once you're on board as an automotive instructor, what are some of the things you can expect um, you know, in that first year? What are some of the challenges uh, that you got to work through teaching students? Um, so we'll discuss that, and we'll talk about a few other things as well, uh, the differences between Canada and the U.S. as far as uh, safety as well as certification differences between the U.S. and Canada. So I enjoyed this talk. Hopefully you will as well. With that out of the way, let's jump right in. Well, how's it going, Dan? Everything's going well. What about yourself, Sean? Can't complain. Staying uh, staying very busy. <laughs> Seems to be the case most of the time, but uh, plenty to do. You had uh, You had your interview for uh, instructor position recently, right? Yes, I did at the college that I actually went to to get my certifications. Nice. How did that go? I'm I'm curious to hear how it went because we talked beforehand about the yeah. You gave me some advice. Um, I got it went pretty well. It was it was definitely structured. They had like a many many questions. Basically, um, nothing real real technical that much. More about me and how I would handle certain situations. Um, some things that I found by me asking questions was that the curriculum was last updated in 2010. So that was like, I think it's really in need of some type of, um, you know, like to get it up to speed with the newer vehicles, because in 2010 to today, it's, it's totally changed in my opinion. I don't know how you feel about that, John, but I'm sure you agree. Yeah. I, as time goes on, everything seems to change even faster too. Um, and you, you got to stay on top of that stuff. There's, there's basics that don't change, you know, like electrical fundamentals, but um, so many aspects of the car change so quickly that certain things can become antiquated pretty quickly. Um, I was actually just talking with a coworker this morning about some questions on some ASE tests that were pretty, pretty outdated. So that stuff can, you know, even, even with ASE, it can get there pretty quickly. Um, what, what do you guys do up in Canada for certifications? Is it ASE up there as well? No, it's not ASE. We have like, um, uh, 310S, 310T. Those are for like the different, different, uh, vehicles like T is for truck, S is for vehicles. And then you write a test back in the day when I first wrote it, I mean, it's been quite some time. I think if you got above 60, you were 
Uh, you could you could um, work in the province. And now anything above 70%, it's interprovincial. So you can work in any province. Okay. Okay. Um, so up, up there, you have to be certified in order to repair vehicles. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. That, or you have to be uh, a registered apprentice working with, with someone that's licensed and then you're, you can still do it as well. Right. Okay. Okay. The enforcement up here isn't, I would say is, you know, they don't really enforce it that much in my like uh, 25 years. I've seen maybe once or twice uh, any type of enforcement officers coming through and asking for our licenses. Other than that, it it it's I, I do feel the enforcement is quite laxed up in Canada. I don't know what it's like down there though. Yeah, there well, that's the funny part about down here is there really isn't any requirement. It's expected, I guess. If you want to be a professional, you should be certified, but I don't have to have any formal training to work on a customer vehicle. Um, I can just be guy off the street that they hired and I can start <laughs> taking apart steering and suspension parts, which I've always thought was kind of strange just because of the safety you know, risks that you take if you don't know what you're doing and sending that thing down the road at 80 miles an hour. Um, but if you want to cut hair here, at least in the state I'm in, <laughs> you you have to be certified by the state uh, <laughs> in order to cut somebody's hair. And, and, and I've said this before, but nothing, I'm not taking away from people that cut hair. Uh, it's just, you know, you would think that for the automobiles that there would be something like that as well. But yeah, there's, there's not here. So, um, so at, um, at the tech schools, is that part of the curriculum is to get the students certified or do they have to do that once they uh, get through the program by themselves? Once they get through the program, then they have to register with the ministry and go write the final exam for your, for your certification. Okay. Okay. But in, but in the States, when a vehicle comes in for a safety certificate, I, here we have safeties as well. Doesn't a licensed guy have to do that because he has to sign off on it? So that does depend on the state that you're in. And I can't personally speak to that because we don't have safety inspections in Minnesota. Um, I know other states do, and I'm not 100% sure on how, how it works. Um, I think there should be safety inspections here in Minnesota because of the rust and, you know, sometimes you're setting the hoist on a car and it's like, where can I put this hoist pad that's not going to, you know, crush the vehicle? I'm sure you deal with the same thing there. Oh, for um, sure. But yeah, we don't have that here. So I'm not exactly sure how that goes. But what about when a vehicle is sold and the title is changed? Is the safety not necessary? In Canada, is if I sell a vehicle to you, you have to get a safety for it before you can transfer the ownership into your name. Nothing like that here. I've, uh, I've oh, really? bought and sold quite a few used vehicles and yeah, and it's just, uh, <laughs> kick the tires and okay. it's yours. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that definitely, there's, some um, some changes that need to be done there for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, okay. Back to the, the school and the interview. Um, I know when I went through it, it was such a big change for me because, um, you know, inter getting interviewed for a job at a shop was very informal. Uh, you know, I could show up in shorts and a t-shirt and there was, you know, maybe 10 minutes of questions. Do you got tools? 
you know, how long you've been doing this, how many ACs do you have? Okay. When do you want to start? And then doing the interview for an instructor position was so, so different from what I experienced there. You know, I got dressed up and there was a panel of people that interviewed me and I had to give a demonstration and I was super nervous. And, <laughs> um, how, how did that experience go for you? Well, with, with COVID, it was strictly just a zoom meeting at this point in time. Uh, I think there was oh, four people okay. all asking different questions, uh, some health and safety. Um, yeah. They, and, and that was about it. It was nothing more than that. And, okay. um, I'm just waiting now, like to, to get on some response back. I think what they're waiting for now to see how many, how many people are signing up for it so they can see how many assignments are out there. I gotcha. But here with uh, COVID is getting a lot better. So I think what they were telling me that it will still be um, online, but then labs, you have to go into the school. So it'll be a mixture of both. I'm sure you may be the same, right? Yeah, well, we were we were pretty lucky. Um, we got to teach in person almost all of last year. And we were one of the only programs that got to do so. So we had the entire campus basically to ourselves and there was a few other programs that had students on campus but everybody else was online and we did we did a small portion online but they gave us the freedom as long as we could you know do everything uh have all the safety practices in place and do the masks and the distancing and cleaning and we were able to do it successfully you know we had i think a couple students that ended up testing positive, you know, they, they stayed away for a couple of weeks. My wife tested positive for it. So I was, you know, like at that point, the whole class was out for two weeks, but other than that, we were, we were pretty successful. And it just, it was one of those things we talked with our administration and it, it has to be in person for this stuff. Um, there's no other way to really <laughs> learn it effectively. If you're not, getting your hands dirty and actually experiencing it. Yeah. And the practical portion, no doubt about it for sure. I agree. That's how, you know, most of us guys learn back in the day, right? Right. Right. There's only so much you can get across, you know, with a, a lecture or, or even, even engagement online. Um, you know, cause the spring of 2020, that's what we did was full online. And it was just so limited, even though I could get in a zoom meeting and talk, with these, uh, you know, guys and gals, it just, there, there's a point that you can't get past and it, it affects them down the road, right? They, they're not getting the same education that they would if they were here in person. So, uh, and, and starting in the fall, we're back to full capacity. I don't think there's any restrictions as of right now. So they'll kind of be back to normal as far as I can tell at the moment. So I'm looking forward to that. Now, how long have you been teaching now, Sean? Um, let's see. What is it? So this will be my fourth year. And now that you've done it for four years, um, I mean, I may be in the same position of you. I, don't, I still don't know as of yet. For a new teacher going in like me, what would you tell me? Um, well, the I was I was kind of surprised by the um 
amount of freedom that I had to create my my courses. And what I mean by that is I was expecting to come in and having like a very uh, strict outline of what I needed to teach, right? And then here's what you do this day and here's what you need to get accomplished by this. And it was actually pretty basic as far as what was required. I mean, we're ASC accredited programs, so there's ASC guidelines and we have a textbook, but that's really about it. And then it was up to me to create it you know, from there. And it was a ton of work to get all that set up, to get basically write 10 courses to teach. And it, it was, it was very tough that first year to do that. Um, but, you know, now that I've gotten through that and I was able to, you know, create these things the way that I wanted to, um, I really, I really enjoy that. And I think it's good for the students because, um, I can adjust and I can change things based off of what I'm seeing out in the field. And that's why I kind of do my mobile thing too, is I can experience it firsthand and cater, cater to that. You know, what are the problems that technicians are struggling with out there? What do these guys need to know to be successful? Let's build that into the curriculum. So the freedom to change that stuff was actually, it, it it took me back at first because it was a lot to overcome, um, but it's worth the work that you have to put in to make that happen. So I don't know with you if you're going to have you know a, a strict outline. It'll probably depend on the school, um, but that was one thing that I didn't expect, and it was a lot of work, but I enjoyed it in the long run. Do you cover all the aspects, or do you do certain parts of 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 studies like front ends, electrical? engines, transmissions. Yeah, we, we break ours down into uh, individual courses and um, I do um, basically all of the engine related stuff. So, you know, engine repair, mechanical diagnosis, cooling system, and then I'll do the computer stuff, um, you know, computer controls, networks, fuel systems, ignition, um, and then I do airbag and AC. And then, so all the other stuff, uh, suspension, steering, electrical, transmissions. Um, we have two other instructors in the program uh, that teach those courses. Do you do scanners as well? Do you cover scanners? Yeah, we do. That's It's in our computer course, but honestly, they're so integrated into every vehicle now that, I mean, we introduce the students to the scan tools in the first year. So they're already getting their hands on them. They know how to use them. And then I have a section in one of my courses where we go really in depth with scan tools. Um, but by that point, they're, they're, they're really good at using them already. Um, and it's actually pretty interesting to watch some of these younger kids. They'll pick up one of, you know, the tablets like an Autel or whatever, and they're just flying through this thing. And they may not even know really what they're looking at or how it applies to a broken vehicle, but the, they're so adept to the interface and a touch screen and everything. Um, it, it's pretty interesting to see how quickly they can navigate and they, they just, they pick it up very quickly as opposed to me. I, it takes me a little longer if it's a different interface that I'm not used to. Um, they can just fly through these things. So they do pretty well with them. 
Yeah, that's encouraging for sure. That is the one thing is uh, the technology on cars. It can be overwhelming at times, but some of these uh, some of these younger kids they can uh, pick it up pretty quick. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, it's, if you can get someone who's got a little bit of passion for it, they can be really, really good at this trade, but it takes, it takes a lot of work, as you say. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so you're waiting here on the, uh, instructor position. What else do you do? Um, I, I think you mentioned something about ambulances and you've done mobile in the past. Yeah. Well, right now I, um, help maintain the fleet of the ambulances in the city. Um, okay. and, and, uh, also too, I do some mobile. I mean, it's nothing to your level. It's just like, I mean, I do a little bit of it. If I had more time, I could probably do more, but when I'm mm-hmm. off, I'd like to study. Like, I mean, I've gone through many of your podcasts, even a few, I remember you're speaking to a few guys that were talking about looking into some more of, um, uh, electronic electrical engineering and stuff. Like mm-hmm. at a basic level, of course. And you know what? It, it opens your eyes to a lot of things. So I spend a lot of time when I'm not working on that stuff because I always want to prove my son. And if you learn, you only get better. Yep. So the mobile stuff, yeah, I do a little bit of it, but most of it is is that uh, just with my work now. So whenever okay. someone calls me, I'll, I'll definitely go and do it. There's no doubt about it. I'm just hoping that if I can get you know, the opportunity for the position, then that's where my time will be mostly a lot of between the two. Sure. Sure. Uh, yeah, the, (laughs) the instructor stuff definitely, uh, definitely takes up some time, especially at the beginning, um, on the, on the ambulances and the fleet, I've never really done any of that work. Um, what do they do for service information? Cause I got to imagine, you know, the base is probably like some Ford van or something, but then there's so much other electrical and computer equipment on those, those ambulances. Is there like wiring diagrams and service information available for that, uh, for you guys? Well, the, the platform, they're all GM. They're mostly Chevy express and, and Tahoe's. That's okay. pretty well. The whole fleet. Um, in regards to the back section, which is made by Crestline and Roland, um, yeah, they give you complete wiring diagrams. Um, they really very limited in the amount of information or how the component like, um, circuit description and how it works. They don't really tell you very much. It's okay. almost like it's, it's guarded by them. So that way they don't give out too much information. Gotcha. Um, I've, I've taken some modules home from work. I'm you know, I power them up. I'm trying to see um, exactly how they work. I, I get little snippets here, like, you know, like sometimes uh, a, a lot of them have um, time de- delay relays where you'll have a whole system go down. And when it goes down, it's 30 seconds later. So you've actually missed the event of it pulling it down because it triggers a relay and in 30 seconds, it shuts the whole vehicle, the vehicle down. So there's definitely very limited service information. There's no doubt about it. You know, in the OE, to be honest with you, there's very limited service information (laughs) sometimes. Right. No, I've run into that all the time uh, on specific things. Sometimes you've got a great description on something. And then other times it is, it is so, so limited or so cryptic uh, trying to figure out what they're, what they're after. Um, I know like Ford trouble codes, um, 
they don't give you a very good description. They'll give you the description of the code, right? The code will have a name like uh, incompatible software or something like that. But then it doesn't give you like a little paragraph or explanation on what that actually means. What it will give you is some steps. You know, you get a flow chart. That's how Ford does it. There's a flow chart and you have to read into that and not necessarily, I mean, maybe you do follow through each step, but you have to interpret what they're talking about based off of their tests that they're having you do. And that's the only way on those I can figure out what are they really looking at with this code? What's the computer unhappy about? I've got to read through the steps and see what they're having me check. It's like, it's, it's like decoding it almost to try to figure this stuff out. And I wish it would be so nice if they just give you a little explanation and say, here's what, here's what's happening. And I, I, I don't know why, that is, you know, why the engineers don't put out that information. Um, but it's, t- it's tough to find, like you said, even in OE service info. Well, I, I mean, why are you saying that in Ford? It comes back to me. I remember listening to your podcast on the escape that I think mm-hmm. was the crank sensor would not allow the uh, alternator to charge. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, don't, yeah. I don't know how you'd wrap your head around that one. You know, it's just, right. Wow. Yeah, the the strategies that some vehicles take when there's an issue can be can be so odd and yeah, not even listed that that is uh, something that could happen. And it's just you gotta you gotta work through it and figure it out as you go. Yeah, and your frustration level gets to a <laughs> peak, you know, because you're pulling your hair and you've done everything you possibly can. I mean, I remember listening to it from from you, and it was like, it's like, wow, man. That's what we've come to today. And, and it's probably worse in many other occasions as well. Sure. No. So the, the one you're talking about, I remember it was a, um, it was a Chevy. Gosh, I want to Was it a Chevy? It was. It, I'm trying to remember the model. It wasn't a Sonic. I think it was a Cruise or a Malibu. One of those two, but it had, they replaced the engine. Yes. And the engine... It was, it was a start stop. I remember yeah. you saying it was a start stop vehicle. And obviously there was a different than the crank sensor yep, and it yep. would, uh, and, and the alternator would not put any, and I think they put four, six alternators in there or something like well, that. Well, it was, not, it wasn't just the alternator. The alternator is one, but the power steering didn't work and it didn't have any codes. And then, yeah, the alternator was not charging. And then I think there was some other electrical things that were acting up, but there were no codes anywhere. It was just operating in this weird default mode because it was getting the wrong crank sensors running the engine and not setting any timing (laughs) codes. And I actually not thinking back on that one. I wish I would have gotten a before and after of the, um, the crank signal, but I was in such a rush. I didn't, I didn't bother. Um, but the only, okay. So the only reason I ended up figuring that one out, it wasn't, it wasn't me. I I searched through IATN and somebody else had, I mean, this dude had really struggled um, and spent days and days to figure out what had happened. And he swapped out the crank sensor. And that was what allowed me to question them. And we popped the sensor in. Um, so boy, yeah, the, the, the websites like ITN, you know, Identifix, Diag.net, some of the Facebook groups, that, that can be so valuable in situations like that where, I don't know what else you do besides 
bang your head against the wall for a few days until you, you, cause there was just no, there's no real obvious things pointing towards, Hey, it's the wrong crank sensor. There's no codes or anything like that. And why it acted the way it did. It's, that's the sort of stuff we're up against out there. <laughs> and, um, you definitely need some help every once in a while. Uh, one thing I know, I don't know how, what it's like in the States, but even if that vehicle itself went to the dealer, they would struggle repairing it because oh, I, sure. I, I, the level of tech, like, I mean, they have the, all the equipment there, but you know what? The technicians there are not what they used to be at, at the dealer level, at, really at any level, to be honest with you. But I did not know that you could repair vehicles without certification in the States. I didn't know that. So that opens yeah. up a whole, like you said, it's, it's a second chance industry, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've heard oh, that's... say that before that's the way it's been treated um for for quite some time especially if you go to like the high school level or you know college level who as students they're pushing towards you know going into the trades in general or automotive is you know somebody who doesn't look like they're going to be successful anywhere else you know in the real <laughs> high level academic stuff well why don't you go do a trade? Well, um, and not to say that person can't do well here. It's very, very possibly they can, but they're going to be up against stuff like that, you know, you, and that's not an everyday thing, but that's how technical these cars are. And so you, you got to have uh, some critical thinking skills if you want to be successful uh, more productive <laughs> in this industry. Otherwise you're, you're just not going to get very far. Well, you're going to be a wrench, right? That's all you'd be really just yes, a wrench. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you know, Hey, that's, that's what some guys want to be and they're very successful at it. But um, I think with the way things are going, especially with like EV and all that stuff, um, you, you just, you're selling yourself short if you're not looking into you know that that skill set right if you're not improving yourself in that way there's you're just going to be so limited um every day <laughs> running into issues yeah I, I totally agree but one thing i do notice in canada um is that the the labor rates are beginning to increase here because okay. they're having to pay technicians so much money because of the shortage like i mean um i know someone at the land rover dealer and I think their door rate is roughly about 225 an hour. Wow. Yeah, it's it's going up, which which should transfer to us making more money as a technician, right? Because yep. I feel we're underpaid. Yeah. Um that has that has definitely been um presented out there quite a bit uh in the last couple of years. But here's here's one thing that I can say since I left the field in, you know, as a tech in 2017 to now, um, just based on, you know, and I, I knew what I was getting paid. I knew what the entry level guys are getting paid and com compared from then to now it's gone up significantly what you can make just right off the bat. And then as an experienced technician, holy cow, I mean, like $10 an hour more on average from just, you know, four years ago, I think that's a pretty significant improvement. And I think it's at least where I'm at. I think it's just one of those things where 
there's just not enough people that have figured out, oh, wow, I can make six figures doing this. Not right away, but you can get into this, grow yourself, get your tools, get your skill set, and make six figures. And I just, I think within our circle, it's becoming known, but there's just not enough people outside of the automotive world that realize that there's a lot of potential here. Um, and, and like you said, I think it, it's on the right track to attract those people and, and uh, hopefully improve the the shortage that has definitely been present for the last few years. Yeah. But do you think that with the way the laws are right now, that anyone could go turn a wrench, it's going to keep, keep the, uh, the pay lower because anybody can do it. If it's only a licensed guy, like in Canada, and you have to be licensed, it's a much better path to making more money than saying, Sean, you want X amount to check a vehicle, but this guy down the road that has an Autel scanner will do it for half that money. Mind you, he probably will eat, the, the work will not be the same, but they're treating it as a commodity. They're saying, well, one is the other, it's the same. And and then yep. that thing I think can hold us back from making, like you said, six figures at least, because we deserve it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the tools that you have to have and the training that you need to take and and what you need to invest, uh, definitely. Um, yeah, the certification thing, uh, I definitely see both sides of it, right? So what you're saying is definitely true. You know, you you set that bar and you have to get that certification in order to be a technician. And then when people go to that shop, they know, okay, I'm getting, you know, a repair or maintenance done on my vehicle by somebody who's been vetted that knows what they're doing for sure, based off of what the state says. On the flip side, um, the, whenever you get government involved in, you know, setting uh, guidelines and, you know, the, the bureaucracy of it, it yes. can cause some some issues right like i don't know what it's like in canada but when i go to the dmv it's it's an awful experience um because you know they they don't have any competition uh to be better right they don't they're just gonna do it however it's decided and it is what it is so so there can be some issues there so i see both sides of it that i like the freedom um to you know run your own business but yeah, going back to like the safety things. And now we've got all this ADAS stuff coming out and self-driving vehicles. And I think that's what is going to seal the deal, honestly. And it may not happen for a while, but when it gets to the point where there are a ton of autonomous vehicles out there on the road and technicians have to service those vehicles, I really do see you know the government stepping in there and saying, yeah, there's got to be some some rules put in place here if you're going to be servicing these vehicles because if you don't know what you're doing or you're cutting corners you're going to kill people i i i don't see any other way around it yeah i t- i totally agree with you on that one it's just uh, they're they're very slow to react and they only react after something really bad happens for the most part government yes 100 percent. it's uh reactionary not uh preventative <laughs> yeah no pro- not proactive in any way right you were asking me about some education uh, resources for automotive instructors, um, and I can definitely share my thoughts on it. Have you found anything uh, 
that you'd like to share or talk about? Or you got questions about as far as um, what, well, when I, when I was in the interview, I yeah. did ask that I asked what um, resources were available for teachers on the newest technology. And really all that was is they teach um, manufacturer specific as well. And we're open to take those courses. We can take them at any time as because we're an instructor. Other than that, there, there was nothing other than that. The only thing I do to, I guess, is the same as you is I, I reach out to a lot of guys here like John Thornton. I watch mm-hmm. his stuff. He's ridiculously smart. Scanner Danner. He's ridiculous. These are, I mean, these guys are smart, like really, really good guys. And those are the resources I use. Yep. Um, I, and same here. Those are a couple of the guys that I, I not only look to for the technical information, because especially like John really good at getting that across and explaining it thoroughly. You can tell he does his research, um, presents it in a really good way. But that's the, that's the other part of it. It's not just the technical info for me. I'm getting information on how to teach out of it, right? Because everybody's got their own delivery, of course, and you want to create your own that suits you the best. But looking at how other people do it, right? How how does John explain a system while he's going through a case study or uh, same thing with Paul Danner, you know, he's explaining something, but you're actually getting to see him go through it. Um, and then, you know, he's got his classroom ones too, which those are great, right. To see somebody teaching this stuff with a class in front of him, um, where there he's getting questions and it's real life. Um, that, that is so beneficial for somebody like me and you, that's got to go do this and stand in front of a class. Um, so yes. I, I eat that stuff up and yeah, great, great resources for sure. Even you had Brendan Steckler on recently. I took a few of his courses, really, really smart guy with a WPS 500, like yeah. one of the top guys out there. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Brandon's awesome. Uh, he's put a, put a ton of time and effort into, again, presenting that stuff in a way that people can understand and having all kinds of case studies and experiences with it. Um, that's, that's fantastic stuff. Um, I I know that when I've been teaching, I do try to incorporate case studies and that was inspired by a lot of these guys, but it's something about having a story, a personal story to go along with something that you're explaining it makes it more engaging for the listener. I think, you know, when you're, you're with that person, you're going along for a ride, right? You're going through the pitfalls and the wrong turns, and then maybe a success. It, um, it just gets you more into the subject matter than if I was just reading a paragraph out of a textbook on how this part works. Right. Um, so I've had some success there in presenting to my class. And again, that was inspired by watching all of these guys and a lot of the, even some of the YouTube channels and stuff like that. Um, I, I would much rather watch somebody like Ivan, you know, uh, Pine Hollow go through and diagnose something in real life to learn it than to read a PDF of a technical article, right? Yeah. <laughs> now, maybe that's just me, but I, I get more out of it that way. And I guess that's where 
you started with your podcasts in the same way because they're case studies and they're awesome. Yeah. And that's, that's why I do it that way is just try to share the experience, right? Share. This is what I went through. Here's my thought process. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, I think it's a good way to, to present these things to people. Yeah. Your podcasts are real good. I really, I really enjoy listening to them and I'm sure many others do as well. Oh, I, I appreciate that. I, I was talking to some people and I just, if it can, if it, it can help people in this industry, that's why I'm doing it. You know, that's, that's the goal. And if, if 10 people out there are enjoying it and getting something out of it, I'm going to keep doing it. So um, I'm glad, I'm glad you like it. Yeah, for sure. They're great. Um, yeah. Some of the other, I'm thinking of some of the other resources um, that I use and we do have stuff like GM and Honda offer uh, training courses. Are you familiar with Electude at all? Have you heard of that? No, I have not. Okay. So Electude is, it's a paid subscription and we have our students actually pay the subscription. I think it's, I want to say it's like a hundred dollars a year. I could be off on that, but you get access to this website and it has online training modules um, for just about every area of the vehicle. Um, I don't want to say every area because there's a couple that doesn't have any, but they're adding more all the time. And you can actually even create your own modules through this. It's a bit of work, but you can, but they have all these um, already done training modules. They have awesome animations. It's probably my favorite part about the system is the, um, the computer animations of these systems. Like there'll be a cutaway of a piston going through the four stroke cycle. And you can see the air molecules, the fuel, the exhaust and the valves moving. And it's just such a great visual to support what we're teaching in class. It's not a standalone. If you just went through it, you're not going to be an expert technician, but as a support to everything we're doing, we use it for like homework assignments. Um, really, really good stuff. So I'd say that's definitely up there on uh, educational resources uh, to look into. And again, we just have our students pay for the subscription and assign the modules, and uh, it's pretty straightforward. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's definitely helpful for sure. Do you do you with with um, the students you have coming in? Do you are you dealing with strictly green people or people that have some experience or a mixture of both? Yeah, it's it's a wide range, right? Because you know anybody can sign up for classes. I've had guys in that are older than me, which was definitely kind of awkward <laughs> at, at first, you know. And and everybody's respectful, but it just felt very strange to be teaching someone that was older than me. And not that there's anything wrong with it. I just felt, I felt odd about it at first, but um, you know, you might get somebody that is a little bit older, has some experience, maybe somebody who's a little bit older that doesn't. Um, You get young kids that have been working on the farm or with their dad in the garage and they're already they've got a lot of mechanical aptitude already. They know how to wrench. They're just looking for the real technical stuff. But yeah, you get people that don't know, you know, what the basic hand tools are. Right. And so that, that is a challenge is to teach to everybody because 
the guy that's grown up on the farm doesn't want to spend two days going through basic hand tool stuff, right? But there's another person in class that needs that. Um, and so it is a, it's a balancing act to figure that out to make sure that everybody's getting something out of the, of the program. Um, that can, that can definitely be a challenge because you never know what uh, group you're going to get. And every, every year is different. Every group of students it has a different identity to it that you've got to just feel it out and adjust as you go. Uh, I know my third year, my students needed a lot more of that basics. And then um, my, the second year that I taught, they were, they were already at a pretty high level. So I was able to ramp it up and you just kind of have to feel that out and, and go with it. Yeah. When I was, when I was in my interview, they were saying that many people, students that you have coming through, as you said, have no idea of the basic tools. So you are definitely starting at a very low level, which as you're explaining it, I can see it being a challenge. A guy that's been at a shop for two years, or let's say a year comes in and the other guys never touched the wrench. That's a little bit, you got to handle them both differently, right? Yep. Yep. And I was talking to Scott Shotton about this. Um, We we were discussing, you know, the range and how you deal with that. And one of the, the, um, the things that I've utilized and still, still trying to perfect it. But if you have somebody in your class that's more advanced and they've got some experience and they're flying through all the stuff um, doing well, you can actually put them into a type of teaching role within the class, right? So you would pair them up with somebody who's struggling a little bit because one of the best things you can do for yourself to learn, and I'm sure you already know this, is teaching. Um, If you have to teach something else or explain something else, you have to understand it better than you did previously just to do it. You have to bring it to another level so that you can explain it to somebody else. So you are now um, taking that, that advanced student out of their comfort zone a little bit, forcing them to grow. And then it's also helping you know, the, the student that's not so advanced, pick this stuff up. And I'll tell you what, sometimes too, the students can identify, you know, like misconceptions or problems with other students that I might not pick up on because I'm a little bit farther removed from that beginner level, right? I haven't been a beginner in a long time, whereas a student understands that perspective better. So um, that's one thing I've really played around with to try to gauge. You got to get a feeling for everybody, but then do that pairing uh, to try to help everybody out. And again, it doesn't always work out perfectly. You know, sometimes the advanced students get frustrated and uh, not everybody pairs well together, just personality wise, but um, it's something I've been working on. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. And then and it takes a little bit of a, a little bit off your plate, basically. Right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I found that's definitely thing. It, the thing is not to try to do all of this stuff yourself. You've got a whole class of students. So, um, you know, you kind of approach, approach issues as a team and uh, you get a lot more done. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You can see that you're, 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 you're passionate about it. And then that's very refreshing. 
Yeah. Oh, I think, I think you gotta be. And, uh, I, I, I'm sure you are too. That's, that's what we need. And, uh, as, as educators for anything is, is a passion. You can't be that jaded, grouchy old tech <laughs> that hates everything and all the cars. <laughs> that's, that's just not a great ambassador to the industry. Um, you want to set these guys out on the right foot with some energy and some, some passion and it's not all doom and gloom. One thing, one question I did ask is when I was in trade school back in the day, um, when we were doing certain labs, let's say engines or transmissions back then, the manufacturers would give us the latest and greatest. Like you had new transmissions, new engines and everything of that sort. So I asked is, are they still doing that today? So that way we could see the newest stuff like, variable displacement all that kind of stuff and uh-huh. there's they, I, what i was told was no they don't do that any longer this college goes out and, and purchases them now which i found mm-hmm. is like I, why wouldn't the manufacturers give it to you because then you're putting out technicians out there that can fix it right right um we've had some good luck with local dealerships providing stuff for us um we got a newer cadillac that was just donated I think it was a, I think it was a lemon car. Um, yeah. I think they, they had to buy it back or whatever, but I mean, still had all kinds of new technology on it that we didn't have with any of our older vehicles. And, um, you know, they don't give us the brand new stuff, but, uh, we'll, we'll get some transmissions or stuff like that, that they, um, had to warranty out every once in a while. So that, that's one thing that, um, my other two coworkers before I started here did a very good job of was securing some uh, relationships with the local local dealerships, and you know they get a benefit out of it too. They get students from us, but um, it's it's good to have those ties with the industry. So I'm sure you probably have quite a few ties that you can utilize once you get into that role. Oh, for sure, definitely. I'm the private sector where I, where I was most of my life i definitely have a lot of connections for sure and i would utilize them to to help the students because uh, all we got to do is make them better that's our job Mm -hmm. yep okay uh do you have any recommendations for somebody that's uh younger just starting out in this field uh when i have somebody on i do like to ask uh just if you have anything uh, you know somebody that's looking to improve themselves in this industry what would you recommend if you had a if you had a student coming up to you and asked you that question. Um, I, I recently, I listened to your podcast where you went over that. Um, you had two guests as well. And um, you're saying, what would you recommend a new guy coming in? And it was a, it was a great podcast. And he should, anybody should listen to it. It was great. The only thing I could add to it was, I remember there was a segment on tools. Remember you were saying that there's a, you get a 50% discount through the school, get some good tools and stuff like that. Yeah. My recommendation, if I were to make a recommendation, I would say whatever money you're going to spend on tools, take, let's say, 20 to 30 percent of that money and invest in the most important tool, the one between your ears, because education is as important, if not more important than the tools you have in your toolbox. Just like all of us, you take courses, I take courses, we continue to educate ourselves by, you know, like, um, buying some of John Thornton's teachings and stuff that is equally as important than any tool you can have in your box. Cause that's what makes you an amazing technician. That's what sets you above 
many, many texts is because your knowledge and you're wanting to learn more. That's the advice I would give. You have to spend a certain amount of that money to educate yourself better. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. Is A lot of people, including myself, don't always keep track of the return on investment for tools. Since I started a business, I've been doing that more than I did when I was a tech. But I'll tell you what, the biggest return on investment you're going to get is yourself if you're investing money and time for yourself. And that, that's what going to school and all that stuff is. Uh, and we tell the students that too, is you're spending two years of your life here, but it's going to pay you back so many times over. Um, and that that's exactly what it is. It's just an investment. I'm giving up this right now. I'm getting that back. And you're, you're right. It's going to be it's going to be more than, you know, a, a pry bar, a hammer, or a set of snap-on <laughs> sockets, right? Those will make you money, but it it's your your like you said, your brain and your knowledge, your skill set that that's really going to give back to you tenfold. That's the most important tool, in yep. in my opinion. It's the most important, and it doesn't end when you finish your school. It just begins. Yep. <laughs> That's a good lesson for anybody out there. You're not done <laughs> ever. <laughs> <laughs> and the day you're done is the day when you're really done. There's no exactly. Doubt about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and you, you have to, you have to want it. You can't, I mean, uh, I'll give you a perfect example. I mean, a couple of years ago, I went, took a, a weekend course at the college and uh-huh. I, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there in class, I bring my notepad. I'm ready to rock and roll. Probably. Within the first two hours, the instructor had told probably four or five guys, and there was more than that. The class was, I would say, about 25, 30 people. At least 50% of them were constantly on their phone. You can just see them looking down. You know, they're looking at their their, their device. Yep. So they're not paying attention to the class. Two or three guys were sleeping, and I'm saying, you have the opportunity here to get an education, whatever it was. Why not grasp it and learn it? It's almost like I get the feeling that the employer paid them to come and do this course, which they don't want to take. Uh-huh. And there's no interest in it. Yeah, it's, it's a little disheartening that, you know what I mean? If you put the effort in, you get out what you put in. If you're not going to put the effort out, fine. Maybe you'll, you'll pass the course or whatever it is, but what did you really get out of it? Not very much. Right. We have the Napa classes. They hold them at the school here. Um, or yeah, at least they did before COVID. And so we'd have local technicians that would come in uh, to go to these training courses and they'd always provide pizza and pop, which, which is awesome. You know, it's always good to have a little bit of food. There's this one dude, he would come to every single Napa class, um, which, you know, you didn't normally see people attend every single one of them. This dude would come to every single one. He's, he's a bigger guy, but he would come, he'd eat probably a whole pizza to himself, drink a couple of pops and then pass out every single time. I must've seen, went to seven, eight classes with him where he'd, he'd eat, he'd slam a couple pops. And then he was out like a light for the rest of the class. And I'm like, this dude's just coming here to get a free meal and take a nap. That's it. He's getting nothing out of the class. But I mean, there's, there's all kinds of people out there, I guess. <laughs> there's no doubt about it, but I mean, that's the guy not putting anyone that's going to be your wrench turner, right? He's not going to, he doesn't want to learn more of right. anything. And, and, right. and you know what we as techs, man, we have to come together. We have to support one another, never cut each other's throat because it's rampant in this industry. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. guy down the road will do the job for half the price. And it's like, 
if we would all keep our labor rate or whatever at a certain point, and this is what it costs, even with diagnostics, like some people don't want to pay for diagnostics. No, we all have to charge for it. We'll all make more money. We'll have a, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have an easier life to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. There's almost like, I mean, I've been an advocate for a long time that we must have a central body that represents us as technicians, whether it's Canada, the US and stuff like that, because one big bone of contention that I've had all my life was that take any manufacturer, let's say GM, GM, for instance, right? Making record profits. Why do the technicians have to subsidize General Motors and do labor at a reduced rate for warranty? Why? Right. It doesn't make sense. It's not fair to the technician. And the longer we stand for it as a community of technicians, the longer it will be, it will be allowed to happen. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're paying, you're paying for poor engineering <laughs> in a lot of cases is what that Perfect. is. Exactly. And um, then when they see you get it faster, they start to reduce the labor rate once again. Yep. Yep. I, I remember this was a few years back, but Ford put out a video um, or a series of videos and they reduced the labor time for warranty jobs because they gave you a video that told you what tools you needed to use for said labor job. And then they're like, well, here, we've already given you this. You don't have to take as many, you know, walks back to your toolbox. You just bring all the tools and we're going to cut that labor time down just a bit. And, you know, a lot of people are pissed off about that, understandably. But yeah, that's uh, it's one thing that kept me away from the dealership. I never, well, I worked at a Toyota dealership for about six months hated it. I was out. Um, but this one thing that kept me in the independent world is I don't have to mess around with the warranty time. <laughs> you know, um, if it was a part failure at Firestone, it wasn't anything I screwed up. I was getting paid to do it again. So, um, uh, that, uh, yeah, you're, you're right. A, a voice for the technicians that everybody can get behind. And that's the tough part is getting everybody on the same page would sure make a difference. Oh, it, it, it would make a huge difference. And we'd have to do it for the benefit of us as technicians, mm-hmm. because the longer we, we allow this to happen, which I know it won't change overnight. I was almost thinking, I mean, I'm not as in-depth with Facebook as you, because you're like amazing at it, to start a Facebook page about that, that being unified technicians with a unified voice that we mm-hmm. can do something and make it better for everyone. Even, especially the students that are coming out of your classes, we want them to have a better future. Yep. In many ways. Like, I mean, a lot of these shops that you go into, uh, some of them don't even have exhaust hoses. Right, right. When you're young, you know, you, you'll be okay with it in the future when you have breathing problems. Oh, well, so be it. He was only a mechanic. No, man, we got to be together. I, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. Like, I mean, uh, we're... We, we, we have to be unified. That's, that's my thought on, and I feel a lot of us think that way and you think the same way as too, but it's like you said, getting it out there and getting us to all be on board. It's, I can see it much more difficult in the U S because you don't have to be certified to work on a car. That, that, that's a problem in itself. Yep. Yep. You're not going to stop that guy, you know, down the street, you know, just doing it out of his driveway from fixing cars. There's nothing, nothing I can do um, besides, I guess, provide a, a better, more professional service, but it's, it's still going to happen. And, you know, and not to say that that's always a bad thing because I do, I know some people, I go to some shops where they run it out of a pole barn and they have a 
legitimate business, um, but they're just running it out of a pole barn at their house and they do a very good job. Um, but on the flip side, there's a lot of shady stuff that goes on in operations like that too, that, yeah. But it holds us back as an industry though. Yeah. It bring it brings it, it down when, you know, that, that was, I had that side work discussion with Dutch a while back, you know, that if somebody's doing it for half of the normal shop rate, it makes everybody look like crooks when well, there's a legitimate reason that we're charging uh, a decent amount for what we do. Um, because if you want to do it right and you go to all the training, you invest all this, you're a professional and you should be charging <laughs> that amount of money. Um, and the, these cars require it to figure out the problems. Yeah. It's commoditized now. They're feeling that the service is the same everywhere, but, and you're trying mm-hmm. to explain to them, but by that time you're already sunk because they don't believe you. Yep. Yep. But yeah, I'm I definitely, uh, I've always been an advocate of that, but, uh, whether it happens in my lifetime, I don't know, but I'd be, I'd be on the front line with that for sure. I'd be speaking for everyone and I would do it for everyone's benefit. I mean, that that's what it's all about. Definitely. Well, anything else you want to touch on before we wrap her up? No, I think that's enough for now. I, I really enjoyed the opportunity. Um, and uh, hopefully one day we can talk about other things. I definitely, I really enjoy uh, your podcasts. You're a super smart guy, man. And it's an enjoy. I enjoy talking to you. Thank you. Yeah. It was, it was great having you on and uh, I'll be interested to, to hear, uh, you know, what happens with the instructor um, position oh, for and sure. how that all goes for you. It's a, it's a heck of an experience once uh, you get in there for the first time. Yeah. Nervous. You're making me nervous to talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the, the thing, uh, my coworker said to me on the first day, I'm getting ready to teach my first class and um, I'm super nervous. He's like, well, something's going to happen. <laughs> as simple as that sounds, he was right. I'm either going to go up to a bomb or maybe I'll do a really good job somewhere in between. Eh, something will happen. And then uh, you just sort of figure it out from there. So <laughs> no sense of getting right? too worried about it. Yeah. Yeah. You get, you get in the flow state. That's the, that's the goal. And um yeah, it, heck, everybody everybody screws up, you know, and makes errors, especially myself. Um, the more you can do that, then be okay with that. That that vulnerability to a class or students or whoever you're working with is actually a good thing. They relate to you more because they're like, okay, this this guy is a human too. He messes up just like me. He's he's here to help me, and you know, I can I can connect with him better rather than you know putting on that uh that facade that i'm perfect and i never make a mistake you know that's that's not realistic and that can actually push some people away so True. yeah awesome well hey thanks dan i really appreciate it uh, coming on today thanks sean All right, that's going to do it for today's episode. I'd like to give one more big thank you to Dan for joining me on the show today. And thank everyone for listening and reaching out about the show. Really appreciate it. But that is all I have for you today. So let's all get out there, start fixing the world one car at a time.